This is the Goma Luku Podcast. What's up, everyone? Episode 6 already of the COVID-19 quarantine Q&A. And today we're going to talk about my favorite places in the UN. No, not in the UN, in New York. Uh, what's on my business cards? Um, things I did while, while I first got into a leadership position. And um, the global strategy of Indigenous peoples. So, let's go. What's your favorite place to eat in New York City? So this is a nice question because I travel a lot to New York uh, for my work. A lot, not my work, but the work that I do. And yeah, well, there's a lot of places that I like to. I like artichoke pizza. That's very good. But the first thing that I have to do while I'm in New York is to get a pastrami sandwich. Like I love pastrami sandwiches. Um, I made it some kind of a competition, like internal, my own competition. Um, to figure out like where is the best uh, pastrami sandwich in the vicinity or at least in the neighborhood of um, alongside 42nd Street or 44th Street. Um, um, yeah, when it comes to pastrami sandwiches. So over the years, for example, um, before, I, like, I think it was like five or six years, every time I went to New York, I stayed at the Bedford Inn, uh, at least the Bedford Hotel. Uh, which was on Lex, on the corner of Lex, and I think it was 39th or 40th Street. And just around the corner is Scotty's Diner. I love Scotty's, Scotty's Diner mostly because it serves pastrami sandwiches and it's open 24 seven. Um, so when we had drafting sessions, late night drafting sessions, we just went to that place uh, with our laptops and started hashing out statements and has conversations after the UN, and it was it was great. You know, it, um, I loved going to uh, Scotty's up until the point that they, um, for some reason, they decided. Well, not Scotty's Diner, but at least the Bedford Hotel. Um, yeah, was renovated and new owners, and so it wasn't a hotel anymore. At least a hotel that I couldn't afford, and. So I stopped going to Scottish because it was way too far. We, we moved to a different hotel. Um, so Scotty's has a very special place in my heart. So that's where I, this whole idea of pastrami sandwich composition started to emerge. So for a very long time, it was my number one um, sandwich uh, from Scotty's. And then I went to different places, especially when I lived in New York for six months. Leading up to the World Conference, uh, we uh, I started finding out, discovering new new places to eat. So um, I had top three. So top one right now is uh, Juniors. Yeah, Juniors. Not only because of their their, their um, uh, pastrami sandwich, but also because of they make an amazing cheesecake. So that's number one. Uh, number two is John's. It's near the UN. I go there uh, various times uh, for lunch when I meet Pam Pamela Craft um, or other people. Um, so I have lunch over there as well. Or Cafe Olympia just across the street from John's uh, serves pastrami sandwiches. Like I love pastrami sandwiches. If it's a good one, like I, I'm, I'm coming back to you. Other than that, it is. I like street meat as well. I try try out street meat. I 
Uh, so the Halal Guys, also a very good one. Otherwise, I did a couple of years ago with Tracy Fare, we did a food foodie tour um, through mostly, uh, yeah, what was it? Like, like uh, lower, lower, yeah, lower east side. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it was near Chelsea Market. Yeah, in that area. Um, Gansaford Chelsea Market. And we did a um, food foodie tour, so did a lot of great stuff in terms of food. Had a lot of great stuff in terms of food. Um, but then again, like you can have a lot of things. You go to, you can even go to Bubba Gump. You know that that's fun too to have a um, to have a little bit of a, a munch over there in like Forrest Gump style. Um, but well, what else? What else? What else? I already mentioned Artichoke Pizza. I lived in Long Island City for a very long time, and yeah, well, delivery of course. Seamless was was almost ordered food almost every day, uh, other than going to Whole Foods, getting like a non-GMO food. Mm. Yeah, well, that's pretty much. It. Those are my favorite places uh, to eat, and yeah, I like to discover new stuff while while I'm in New York as well. Um, so yeah. What's on your business card? All right, business cards. It is, well, something that I, uh, for a very long time, I started to um, look into, like, what, what should my business card look like? Uh, the color, fonts, and size, and everything else. Um, up until the point that I just created my own business card, like, all black, simple name, title, or role, what you do, what I did, and an email address and of and my phone number uh, back then it was a u.s phone number that i used so that was pretty much on my base oh, i don't have my business cards with me um but that's mainly because i don't have to use them them anymore uh whenever i go to meetings and yeah we, we start talking with people and yeah it's, at some point like i don't ask for business cards anymore like i just ask well hey do you use WhatsApp or can I email you something? And yeah, and also it's, yeah, it, it could be uh, helpful to have business cards, but for me, I, I realized that it is better to like to continue conversation and communication and connection, like in terms of relationship building um, to, yeah, just exchange WhatsApp numbers. And I was like, send a text like, hey, um, it was great talking to you. Let's continue this conversation over coffee tomorrow or the day after or, or any other time. Any other time. Um, so I nowadays use WhatsApp more. Uh, business cards, it's, yeah, I received them too. And I, I developed some kind of, like, um, I did, like, when I was in law school, uh, there was somebody, like, it was like a minor class on international relations and which included like how do you in terms of like like customs when it comes to business cards exchange and uh, meetings and which included also like how to uh, when you talk to Japanese businessmen or uh, Japanese diplomats like what do you do like there's there's some things that you have to do um, which I will not go into right now but like business cards receiving and Presenting business cards, that's a whole thing, you know, for a lot of cultures. Um, so that's why I keep them on me. I still have a, a bunch of them lying around somewhere. But most of the times, um, it is just, hey, um, 
so what's your WhatsApp? Or uh, can I flick you an email or something along those lines? So yeah, I, I don't I don't have them with me actually, so which which sucks a little bit. But anyway, um, yeah, black or black. Like I have a less is more approach when it comes to um, like essentialism and then when it uh, like minimalism, sorry, minimalism, essentialism, less is more when it comes to design and everything else. So um, you can imagine w what my business card will look like. Otherwise, I'll just um, pop it in here uh, so you can see a little bit well, what I'm trying to say. Other than that, let's get to the next question. What's the first thing you did in a leadership position? Leadership positions, that's the tough one. Uh, what constitutes, in your view, a leadership position? Um, so just to answer the question, so what pops into my mind, the first time that I was actually in a leadership position was when I had a part-time job at, at a um, uh, concert hall. Um, back then, it was called Heineken Music Hall. And I was like a team leader, team captain, whatever you want to call it, of the, the staff that I had to, of the people that, I, that would run. I was running a bar and I had staff, staff with me and, and I had a team. Sorry, yes, I'm team leader. Uh, so I was, when I got that job role, I was... 18, 19, maybe. And I was, yeah, I, w I was supposed to be the, the, the leader, um, the, the manager, quote unquote, of people that were like way older than I was back then. So like, they were like 22, 24, 28, even, even 32 uh, back then. Uh, and it was, you know, like, it is hard to come into a, an existing team already and be the manager or the leader leader um but it's much harder when you come in and you're like the youngest one so like a lot of people this is like this is a, a a maybe a word of advice to people that are going into that role or situation um don't try to like go double down on your uh, uh, authority like i am a leader i'm the manager so you will have to listen to me um, don't do that. You know, it is you, you come in and yeah, learn the people that you have to work with. Like, like ask them questions. Be respectful. Um, if you give respect, so you'll get respect in return. Like the Lou, Lou, the law of reciprocity. If ever that's a law. Um, so what I did. So it's I sort of simple. You know, and every every like every concert. Like there were like different people. Um, at my bar, you know, so um, I could, uh, like, there were like, I don't know, like 12, 15 people every, every concert, and it would, the, um, the composition, like, it, it varies. So, what I did, I had a list of names, and I tried to memorize their names, like, face name, face name. So, during the course of a week, if you have like seven, um, yeah, seven concerts. So one concert a day, you'll de you're dealing with at least 80, 90 different persons uh, like that they're working at, at a center or at the, con at the concert hall at a given day. So I made it a point. All right, what, um, so like when I talk to someone, like let me introduce myself, what's your name? And I try to use that name like within the first 
10 to 15 seconds. Um, so, oh, hey, so you're Mary. Hey, hi, Mary. How you doing? Um, so what do you do for a living, Mary? Something along those lines. And so that's why how I started to um, uh, train myself to show an interest into what their names are, what they would do for a living. And, yeah, and people start to uh, like gravitate towards that. Like, oh, he's a great guy. Um, he, at least, like, when, when I ask people something, like, hey, um, Mary, could you do something for me um, so that I can do this, and but I have to also do that. And they were all, always responded, like, yeah, sure, why not? And because, yeah, I was respectful, knew their name, knew what they, where they came from. I made a conversation while I was 18, like, and with people that were 32, 34, that were really, like, listen to what I had to say and looking up to me. So it's, um, first thing that I did was, yeah, mem learn, not memorize, but learn people's names uh, um, with the aim to understanding, yeah, building a relationship with them. Do indigenous peoples have a global strategy? If so, what is it? When it comes to global strategies, I always think about the ALTA outcome document. The ALTA process, which is the preparatory process of, process of Indigenous peoples leading up to the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples uh, back in 2000, between 2012 and 2014. Indigenous peoples from all seven regions and two thematic caucuses, so the, the Women's Caucus and the Youth Caucus, they had their own meetings and came up with priorities and asks or demands or wants um, that they wanted to see reflect as an outcome of the World Conference. So all these nine meetings, they let, fed into one big humongous meeting held in Alta, Norway, um, and was attended by over 500 indigenous peoples from all around the world. So that already, whatever comes out of that meeting, gives it a high level, a very high level of legitimacy. Um, so 500 these peoples, and they came up with a plan of action called the Alta Outcome Document, which was which was fed into the World Conference World Conference lobbying negotiating process that will lead into into the Outcome Document of the World Conference. The Alta Alta Outcome Document has four themes: um, national policies, um, UN system action, sustainable development, and uh, I believe lands, territories, and resources. These are just from the top of my head, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, from these four the thematic areas, uh, had at least ten or twelve uh, recommendations that they wanted to see become become a reality, want to see manifested as an outcome of the World Conference. What a lot of people think, uh, both indigenous and non-indigenous peoples also indigenous peoples that were at the ALTA meeting, what a lot of people think that the lifespan of the ALTA outcome document is, was only up until the World Conference. Yeah. It is not. Um, because it is, it is, this document has a very high level of legit, legit, legitimacy, because it has a lot of recommendations in it that would, uh, that would secure their survivability, that would secure the respect for rights of indigenous peoples. Um, and with secure sustainable development, it has a, a lifespan that goes beyond the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples. And that's why it's very important that Indigenous Peoples in general, uh, in their discussions, in their dialogues with states internally, with communities, 
with everyone that not only do they reflect or they talk about the Declaration of Rights of the Peoples or the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples Outcome Document, but also talk about the ALTA Outcome Document, or at least um, whatever they do, that they take into account that it must be in line with the ALTA Outcome Document, so that like if everyone like zooms in on this document and looks at like how can I contribute um, to the realization of of the manifestation of this uh, of this document, then we would all be able to work in a very um, consistent and a very uh, concise and constructed effort towards uh, yeah making our lives better, like making sure that we can survive for. Or that the next seven generations can survive. So when people ask me what the global strategy is for indigenous peoples, I refer to the Alta Alcon document. And I always I look through the Alta Alcon document when I, whenever I have to, I'm in negotiations and there's something that um, some people ask me like, hey, is this what indigenous peoples want? So I go into the document like, well, yeah, it is um, in audit theme two recommendation or paragraph 10 or 11, you know? And so then I'm, I'm sure that it fits within that, that um, within the framework of the Alta Alta document. Whenever any peoples are um, having to come up with principles, uh, when, it, for example, uh, yeah, it could be in, in any process, you know, I, I recommend you to go through the also outcome document. Let's see what what's in the preamble. What any these people say about uh, about it, about principles, or of uh, yeah, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, if you look, if it's trying to to be very inclusive in terms of like the effects of biodiversity, and you want to like name all like like oceans, waters, mountains, plains, deserts, etc., etc., etc. Um, and like the, the problem is like if you um, try to be as inclusive as possible, like you try to mention them all, there's always a chance that you'll miss out on a few and people will be very upset because of it. Um, so that's why I always like to be safe and to be sure I go to the dec not declaration. Well, also you can also go to the declaration, but I go to the Alta Alta document, see what they, they what it has written and that and then I just reflect that. And if when people ask, well, why do you use that and not include this? I'm like, well, it is an alto outcome document. It has a high level of legitimacy. Over 500 these peoples were part of the process. And it was a very thorough process as well, not just in numbers, but also like it came from the regions. So global strategy, go look at the alto outcome document. Anyway, so that's in short um, episode six already. Oh my God, we're going fast now uh, of the q and If you have any questions, comments, or anything else, um, drop me a line on social media or in the comments or send me a text and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have um, a good chat about that. Thank you for listening. I hope I was of value to you. Please subscribe. It would mean the world to me if you dropped a comment on my social media. But most of all, and before we run out of music, have a great day. Yeah, that sounded weird.